Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Texas Law Talk Radio, produced by Lone Star Content Marketing, serving DFW law and professional services firms. Texas Law Talk Radio covers local and national legal news, featuring prominent DFW attorneys and experts who share at current trends in popular legal practice areas and in law practice management. Partial support for Texas Law Talk Radio comes from our sponsor advertisers. We encourage our friends and colleagues to get in touch and share ideas for new programs. You may contact me at Nick Augustine by email at nick at lonestarcontentmarketing.com. Please be kind and share the links to our podcast episodes that we promote in our social media pages. Texas Law Talk Radio programs are available on the Texas Law Talk Radio Facebook page as well as the podcast page at LoneStarContentMarketing.com. Today's show is constitutional background and arguments over same-sex marriage with attorney Ross B. Russell of Hampton & Associates, PC, in Fort Worth, Texas. Topics we'll cover on today's program. We'll first introduce Ross Russell and give a little bit of his brief background. Then we'll talk about same-sex marriage decisions in Texas, the Ninth Circuit, and the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll identify and explain levels of scrutiny and the process for deciding constitutional issues. We'll talk about the current case pending before the U.S. Supreme Court and some potential outcomes. Of course, we'll look at some constitutionally alternative theories of gender discrimination and talk about Justice Roberts and the thoughts that he shared on same. Of course, we'll talk about possible challenges and reactions to the Supreme Court decision, uh, what will come out with same-sex marriages later, expected later this month. Ross Russell is a native Texan from Central Texas, and his passion for Texas law and constitution drives his focus in litigation. After graduating number five in his class from Texas A&M University School of Law, he achieved the highest score on the bar exam in Texas among A&M law graduates. A longtime entrepreneur, Ross launched his own firm, the, the Russell firm, Russell PLLC, which is a full-service general practice firm. He also works as an attorney for the Fort Worth law firm of Hampton & Associates PC and is active with a variety uh, of complex legal matters there. Uh, Ross is active in the Tarrant County Bar Association and attends frequent programs and continuing legal education seminars. Ross will be a frequent guest on Texas Law Talk Radio, sharing his insight in Texas law and the developments with our attorney and business professional audience. For more information, you may visit therussellawfirm.com, that's Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, lawfirm.com, and hamptonlawonline.com. You may also contact Ross Russell at Hampton & Associates, PC by dialing 817-877-4202. Again, that's 817-877-4202. By way of short disclaimer, this is a general information program and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice and interaction with guests cannot create an attorney-client relationship. Legal questions should be directed to a licensed Texas attorney in your area. All legal rights in connection with this internet radio podcast are reserved. Let's go ahead and say hello to our guest, Ross Russell. Hi. Well, thanks for having me on. Ross, thank you for your valuable time and being here to explain to the folks at home a little bit of the background of the same-sex marriage debate, what has happened in Texas and our our courts, and what is pending in the U.S. Supreme Court. 
Um, I know a lot of our folks out there are attorneys uh, as well as business professionals. And then, like I was saying earlier, um, a lot of people's siblings and friends and neighbors. So this is something that a lot of us are, are focused on and looking at and awaiting news later this month to see what happens. Um, why don't you uh, first uh, introduce yourself to the folks by telling them a little bit about uh, your background and how you came to uh, be interested in constitutional issues and litigation and uh, you know, things of this nature. Uh, yes, well, uh, I am uh, a local Fort Worth attorney here, uh, like you had uh, mentioned in the introduction, and uh, my my passion for constitutional issues really arose early on in my college career, and uh, I really indulged in the uh, nerd uh, enthusiasm of looking at the complex legal issues in constitutional law. So I uh, followed the Supreme Court before I even began uh, law school, and then when I got into law school, I finally understood the issues they were talking about, and that has carried over into practice and in uh, litigation matters, no matter how simple, if it's from a business dispute to a family dispute, to a landlord-tenant dispute, constitutional issues seem to crop up every single step of the way and are the most interesting to me. Very, very well. And uh, also a lot of that is noted, too, on your AVO profile. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks these days are really appreciate the uh, AVO site and the profiles of attorneys finding out different information. So any of our listeners out there who know Ross or appreciate this, uh, you may go to the AVO profile, learn more, and make a recommendation if you know Ross and have uh, some thoughts on him as a, as a great Texas attorney. So moving forward, same-sex marriage, decisions in Texas, Ninth Circuit, and the U.S. Supreme Court. Can you give us a little bit of the background for people who have uh, either, you know, I know some people have stayed real close and followed the news. Other people really don't know what's going on. So if you can give us a you know 30,000-foot overview of the issues in this matter. Yes. Um, okay, so in the beginning, 2013, uh, the United States versus Windsor is the decision that brought us to where we are today. Um, in that case, um, um, some of your listeners will remember, it was a challenge to the Federal Defense of Marriage Act. And the Federal Defense of Marriage Act said that the federal government did not have to recognize a same-sex marriage in a, performed in a state that did legally recognize a same-sex marriage. Um, what that meant was that couples married in the states where it was legal and they were of the same sex uh, suffered a adverse estate tax burden. And that is what Mrs. Windsor um, was complaining about. She had a an, an much higher estate tax bill and sued challenging that very provision, Section 2 of the uh, Federal Defense of Marriage Act, and said that because uh, her state recognized her marriage, the federal government should. And the basic argument here was an equal protection argument. Um, it was a denial of equal protection of the law, and the classification was um, sexual orientation. Um, she brought it up to the Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Kennedy, writing for the court, issued a very murky decision. Um, what, what it established was unclear. Um, what Justice Kennedy said was that the Federal Defense of Marriage Act treated uh, same-sex couples as second-class citizens. That's, that was his language. Um, and he said that there was no legitimate purpose for that law. Um, what 
it appeared, and we'll get into this when I uh, just in just a minute when I talk about the levels of scrutiny. It appeared that Justice Kennedy was uh, using rational basis review, but there was something extra in it. And he also did this in the Lawrence v. Texas case. Um, it's some scholars have started calling it rational basis plus or rational basis plus animus, um, and that's the key there. With that decision on the books, uh, same-sex couples all over the United States started challenging uh, state-level bans on same-sex marriage. Um, This happened in um, the 4th, 7th, 9th, and 10th Circuit Courts of Appeal. Um, So this is the Atlantic Coast, the uh, Midwestern Illinois, Wisconsin area, the Western Mountain States, and the Western Coastal States. Um, In all of those cases, the district court, using the language of Windsor, said that state-level bans on same-sex marriage were unconstitutional. Um, Those were appealed to those respective uh, circuit courts, and the circuit courts agreed. Um, Here's the history that gets us a little bit, uh, it gets murky. The attorneys for the state petitioned the Supreme Court for certiorari, which when you go to the Supreme Court, uh, you don't appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. You file a petition for certiorari, and the U.S. Supreme Court can either choose to hear it or not. Um, The U.S. Supreme Court chose not to hear those four cases. Um, So effectively what the U.S. Supreme Court did in that denial of certiorari was endorse same-sex marriage in those 36 states that were affected by those um, decisions. Now, what threw a a wrench in the works and got us to where we are today is the case of Obergfell versus Hodges. That was originally a, uh, I believe, Ohio case. There's a couple others that were consolidated under that uh, heading. It went up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Ohio, in Cincinnati, and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the state bans. And at that point, the Supreme Court granted the petitioners uh, petition for certiorari, and that is the case that's currently before the Supreme Court. So that is what we have. uh, The Supreme Court had somewhat endorsed same-sex marriage in 36 states, and when a court finally said, no, the ban is still constitutional, the Supreme Court decided to hear it. Um, So that's currently where we are. Um, Now, I suppose I should uh, talk about the levels of scrutiny and what, how uh, attorneys handle these issues. Um, so I'll go back and give some of the legal background then here. For a marriage case, there are basically two options, um, due process of the law and equal protection of the law. Now, these two provisions of the U.S. Constitution uh, are very different and have different levels of review by the court. Um, Under due process of law, the U.S. Constitution guarantees certain rights that the court has declared are fundamental to our freedom as Americans. And when those fundamental rights are attempted to be infringed in some way by a state legislature, by the federal uh, Congress, any kind of – or even a regulatory agency, um, those laws are reviewed under what's called strict scrutiny which means that the law must be narrowly tailored and it can must be the least restrictive means of accomplishing some very important government objective. 
um, long ago, the Supreme Court declared that marriage, the right to marry, is one of those fundamental rights. So, in other words, no state can outlaw marriage. No state can can declare that marriage is heretofore illegal and everyone just must date. Um, that's now unconstitutional, um, and such a law would be reviewed under strict scrutiny and would likely fail. However, um, other laws implicate rights that are not fundamental, like, say, for instance, the right to have a driver's license. Um, a state could say no one can drive. A, a state could declare, could pass a law tomorrow that says there will be no driver's license and no one is permitted to use the road, and that would be reviewed under rational basis review. And under rational basis review, the uh, law must be rationally related to a legitimate uh, state interest, which this review is very, very limited. Um, these kinds of judgment calls are made appropriately at the legislature. So uh, courts generally will stay out of these sort of disputes. If a state says, well, there are some car accidents, so no one should drive, that would probably be an acceptable reason for the court uh, for such a, a law because the reason doesn't have to be good. It just needs to be a reason. Um, and so that's your due process. Due process is generally implicated when it is an absolute uh, infringement on a right. In contrast, equal protection is when you start to classify parties. Um, and equal protection has three levels of scrutiny. It has the same rational basis, just like uh, due process, and it has the same strict scrutiny, just like due process. However, for uh, equal protection, there's a middle tier. It is called heightened scrutiny or intermediate scrutiny, and all of these levels of scrutiny depend on what kinds of classifications the law is uh, classifying, because as you know, every single law uh, that a legislature passes classifies people in some manner or another. Um, in Texas, you have to be 16 years old to get your driver's license. That's a classification. 16 years or below, 16 years or above. And age is not a what is called a suspect classification, so therefore driver's license and the age in which you get a driver's license is judged under rational basis review. So a state's reason of young people drive bad, that would be acceptable to a court. However, um, race, alienage, and nationality, those are impermissible classifications. So in other words, if a legislature passed tomorrow and said um, people of different races can't get married, that, that's happened before, right? Um, that would be judged under strict scrutiny, and the legislature would have to have a compelling state interest, a very good reason to pass this law, and the law must be narrowly tailored to not affect too many people in the classification. Um, so the next level, then, is intermediate scrutiny. So intermediate scrutiny is uh, under gender, and so far gender is the only thing that is under intermediate scrutiny. For that, it's the state must have an important interest, and it must be not the, the least, but a narrow reason or a narrowly tailored, not quite as narrowly tailored as strict scrutiny. So it's a little, it's a little easier. But nonetheless, the laws that are analyzed under uh, heightened scrutiny are oftentimes struck down. 
Um, so there, those are our levels of scrutiny. Um, now, the challengers to same-sex marriage uh, bans in the states argue that a same-sex marriage ban fails under any uh, level of scrutiny. The states obviously want it to be in rational basis review and argue that it would survive under rational basis. So there's where we're at as far as how you apply each of the different kinds of uh, levels mm-hmm. of uh, scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Rina uh, Ross. It's a, a very yeah. excellent, uh, you know, I was sitting here taking notes, flashbacks to being, uh, I had constitutional law one and two, and I just counted the years. That was 15 years ago. And that was a really <laughs> good refresher. Now, if I only had you as my con law teacher, I think I would have understood that the first time. But, uh, I mean, this is complex stuff, and I thank you for taking the time to parse it all out for people. We're going to pause for a quick break, let you catch your breath, sir, and then we'll talk about the current case pending, potential outcomes, um, more on this alternative theory of gender discrimination, what Justice Roberts had to say, and some possible challenges and reactions, and I'm just going to let you go with it. But in the meantime, I'm going to remind our listeners back home that uh, this episode of Texas Law Talk Radio is brought to you all by Lone Star Content Marketing, offering public relations, marketing, and advertising work limited to law firms and small business professionals. What we do is we write and manage original content for our clients, social media, blogs, newsletters, podcasts, events, public relations, and advertising campaigns. Our practice, again, is limited to law and professional service firms, mainly located in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Here at Lone Star Content Marketing, our content is always original and custom-written for our clients in several practice areas. What we do is we work together with our clients who like to email us article ideas that add to their publication calendars, uh, along with articles that we propose for publication on our clients' blogs, social media, and their internet radio podcasts that we create and manage for them. What this does is it keeps everyone engaged while spotting and sharing new stories and topics of interest to our client law firms and the Texans they serve in the greater DFW Metroplex. In advertising, marketing, and public relations, the consumer public expects to easily find lawyers online and like to see original frequent content on their websites, their blogs, and their social media networks. So what we do, again, is we write and manage all of the marketing so our clients can keep busy practicing law. For more information, you can contact me, Nick Augustine, by email at nick at lonestarcontentmarketing.com to find out what we can do to keep your marketing machines moving so you can focus on work. You may also get in touch with us by dialing area code 940-498-2863. Again, that's 940-498-2863. Now back to our guest, Attorney Ross Russell. Uh, We're talking again about the constitutional backgrounds and arguments over same-sex marriage. Uh, We talked a little bit about the background and history and covered all the different levels of constitutional scrutiny. So now, Ross, what can we expect to see with this current case, uh, alternative theories, and possible outcomes and reactions? Okay, well, this case before the Supreme Court, and I think I had mentioned this before, it's Obergefell, uh, that's O-B-E-R-G-E-F-E-L-L, v. Hodges, H-O-D-G-E-S. Um, it is a. It comes from the Sixth Circuit. The Sixth Circuit um, analyzed the case under pure rational basis. And what the Sixth Circuit said is that 
the states had a legitimate interest, legitimate state interest, in the sanctity of marriage to exclude same-sex couples from uh, the right to marry because it was traditionally uh, a right only held by opposite-sex couples. Um, so it, this is pure rational basis review. As I had said earlier, Windsor, um, applied by Kennedy, was somewhat of a rational basis plus. He talked about legitimate interests, which is falls into the category of rational basis. But then he talked about animus. He said there there's no legitimate interest other than animus towards same-sex couples. And he kept using this phrase, second-class citizens, which has been repeated over and over again in the uh, other court cases um, in the various circuits that have uh, found a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. Now, what was interesting about the case um, when it came up for oral arguments just a while back was that the petitioners that represented the uh, same-sex couples argued that this is a suspect classification, that we need to go for full, strict scrutiny. Um, they and they argued their argument was twofold. One was that the right to marry is a fundamental right, and a ban on same-sex marriage is an infringement on that fundamental right, and therefore it falls under due process, strict scrutiny. Um, their second argument was that although it has not previously been held to be a suspect classification, um, sexual orientation should be declared a suspect classification and therefore be analyzed under strict scrutiny uh, under the Equal Protection Clause. Um, both arguments are are fairly strong. Um, however, the Equal Protection argument is asking for the court to make new law, and the due process argument ignores the classification of the law. Um, the law that bans same-sex marriage is a classification law. It is not a law that says all people cannot enjoy this right. And so most attorneys, uh, judges, would would say that it's inappropriate to analyze it under due process um, because it is a classification law. So, of course, the state, the attorneys for the state, argue this is pure rational basis, um, which is their best argument that they can make. They say the Sixth Circuit had it right. It's pure rational basis. Well, in the middle of that is an argument that was briefed by some friends of the court, by some non-parties that petitioned the Supreme Court for help, guidance, and say, I'm interested in this, you should consider this. And this was brought up by Justice Roberts in the oral arguments, um, is the level of heightened scrutiny for gender discrimination. And what's interesting about this is Texas's law, in, in particular, says that marriage is only between a man and a woman. So Texas law explicitly names gender. It, it classifies on the basis of gender. It says you must be this gender and you must be this gender in order to apply. So Justice Roberts said, why do we have to make any new law at all? This is a classification based on gender. Why is it not subject to heightened scrutiny? And then subject to, of course, the uh, thorough review of heightened scrutiny and the implication of, of Roberts's comments is, well, of course, the ban would be struck and same-sex marriage would be legal, but it would happen in such a way that would preserve 
every the status quo in other ways, in that there's no new constitutional right to same-sex marriage. Instead, there's a constitutional sword against those that would ban same-sex marriage. And this is not a new law, a new constitutional interpretation. Instead, this is a lasting constitutional interpretation applied to new facts. And so Justice Roberts's uh, inklings, I guess you could say, in in his oral argument, sort of lead me at least to believe, as a court watcher, that Justice Roberts is going to attempt to cobble together a majority that straddles the line. Because if if classification based on sexual orientation is declared a suspect classification and subject to strict scrutiny, um, much more other laws would be implicated. Um, employment laws, retirement laws, uh, tax laws, everything else. But if it's just this marriage issue, and it's and if it's just on gender classification, that's a very narrow ruling. It could still give the petitioners the the ruling that they seek. Um, Same-sex marriage would be legal across the U.S., but it would be on a much more narrow ground. And I think that Roberts, as the Chief Justice of this Supreme Court, wants to do something like that. He. he I don't think he wants to be uh, completely uphold the Sixth Circuit and overturn all of the other uh, circuit court decisions that he has sort of, by denying certiorari, somewhat endorsed. So uh, that's my belief, uh, that he will be in the happy middle of gender discrimination. I think that's the, the alternative argument for, for same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, a lot of commentary from legal experts and constitutional experts who uh, who's commented on uh, on Robert's opinion here? Um, is this a prevalent thing? It's just, it's something I ask because it's not something that I have seen or heard much about. It's really it really is limited uh, into the um, what I call the constitutional law nerd blogosphere, uh, right? It's in things like SCOTUS blog and other. Um, online constitutional law discussion boards and forums of of some people saying that's an interesting argument. The news media has not really caught on to it because it's a it's a very fine line distinction, and the reverberations from either are are unclear to to most non lawyers. I think that makes good sense. Um, you know, and I think another thing that people might wonder about if that were if it were to come down. Uh, as you you know, if this were to to happen as you would suggest, what could be some possible outcomes? Would there possibly be challenges? What reactions? Or would this settle? Or would this settle things for good? And what would happen uh, in Texas, uh, if at all? Well, I think that the the actions afterward are going to be very interesting because, as you know, the Supreme Court has the final say. And and as um, I believe it was Justice Blackman said, uh, they're not final, or they're not infallible because they're final. They're final because they're infallible. Right? It's the opposite of that. But uh, their their word is final on it. However, um, I, and I think I might have touched on this just a little bit. If he if the ruling is on gender discrimination, that leaves a very interesting wedge for other states and different. Uh, localities to enact some laws, and we've seen some of this in Texas, about um, 
protection for religious objectors. Um, and and some of those are simply reaffirming the law as it stands now. Uh, for example, the Texas law that allows a uh, pastor to not marry a same-sex couple um, changes the law in no way at all in Texas. Pastors can choose to not marry anyone they want, whether they be opposite sex or same sex, um, because it's up to the pastor whether or not they want to render those services. What might change, and this could be interesting, um, county clerks and other people in different states that issue marriage licenses. There's been a big push to allow religious objectors that work for the government in these states to recuse themselves from issuing these marriage licenses. Um, these may or may not uh, be upheld depending on how the same-sex marriage issue is classified. If it's classified under gender discrimination, then it's clear that there's no fundamental right to same-sex marriage. Um, it's not that sexual orientation is viewed under strict scrutiny. It's that this is a gender-specific law, and we oppose gender-specific laws. And so states could arguably say we interpret our constitution to expand religious freedom and therefore clerks can recuse themselves from these. So that's an, an interesting issue. If it's on gender, the clerks might have an out and the uh, religious freedoms might be able to be expanded and somehow limit some of the uh, reverberations of this Supreme Court ruling. It's a very exciting time in law and litigation to be Absolutely. in Texas and to be an American to watch all of this. Um, you know, this is things that will go down in the history books for years to come. Uh, it's okay. If it's all right with you, uh, Mr. Russell, I'll spill over a couple uh, minutes here just for my final question. Um, sure. Again, if you could clarify, what would – so you said if this comes down by strict scrutiny, that could also trigger – a whole other line of, you know, with employee benefits and rights and everything else. But if we're gender, um, uh, that's not – because I know that there have been recent lawsuits filed, or recent lawsuits you know, filed against the state of Texas um, on the behalf of a group seeking uh, benefits, uh, employee benefits, uh, insurance benefits, and so so on for same-sex couples. So if this were to come down under gender, uh, would the, what would the implications of that possibly be? Yes, so if it came down under gender, then basically as far as same-sex um, couples are concerned, the sexual orientation classification under any other law would not be suspect. And therefore the states can argue, no, this is a purely rational basis um, case. So for employee benefits and everything else, if the – if Judge, if Justice Roberts issues an opinion and says we strike it on the basis of gender and not of sexual orientation, then suits against the state of Texas, against um, other public universities, private universities, anybody for, um, for employee benefits, the defense is clear. It's, the court has not said that sexual orientation is a suspect classification, and therefore um, the state or the city or municipality is free to legislate and classify according to sexual orientation and even discriminate according to sexual orientation because that is only subject to rational basis and it must just survive rational basis. Now on hmm. the flip side, if it comes down under strict scrutiny and it becomes a suspect classification, um, we have seen this um, in the affirmative action cases as well in that strict scrutiny can be a mixed 
bag because laws that are aimed to help same-sex couples that give preferential treatment to same-sex couples would also be struck. So any attempt to normalize um, the situation may actually be struck because the the court, as it stands, the Roberts Court has said if the, the classification is suspect, then the laws affecting that class must be completely class-blind. They must be, in other words, color-blind, nationality-blind, ethnicity-blind, and if sexual orientation is added to that, sexual orientation blind. So it could be, there could, if it comes down under strict scrutiny, I can guarantee there will be more lawsuits, more reverberations, and a further unwinding of other laws in addition to. Mm-hmm. And potentially a lot of uh, angry taxpayers. That's right. Yeah. Well, we uh, look forward to finding out what happens, and uh, I'm sure we'll probably do a little short follow-up, even if it's only like a five-minute thing uh, with this, if it happens, uh, if you'd be so kind to explain it and come back on the program. But for now, that is all the time we have for today. If you could be so kind, Mr. Ross Russell, tell the folks at home the best ways that they can get in touch with you if they'd like to continue this dialogue and learn more about these issues. Yes, everyone is free to give me a call anytime at 817-877-4202. That's my office number here, 817-877-4202. You can also visit my website at therussellawfirm.com or also uh, hamptonlawonline.com. You can feel free to contact me through either of those websites or or you can contact me through AVO, my AVO profile under Ross B. Russell. Mm-hmm. And the practice areas that you uh, serve Texans with? Yes, uh, I am a generally a litigation attorney, but I also practice uh, general practice. I advise businesses. I do real estate law, and also uh, practice as an arbitrator and a mediator for um, general lawsuits and different disputes. And I am also an uh, alternative dispute resolution professional as well. All right. All right. You've got it all. All right. Well, I want to thank you again, Ross Russell, for your time. And I also want to thank our audience for listening to this episode of Texas Law Talk Radio, again, brought to you by Lone Star Content Marketing and with support from our local sponsors. Texas Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to educate and provide resources in law and litigation. We want you all to have the tips, tools, and news that necessary to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Texas Law Talk Radio, and I thank you all for your time. Bye now.